are so glad that each of you are here. And if you're watching online, do not touch that dial. Don't touch that button. Don't do it because God's got a message for you today. Don't touch it. You just stick here with us the whole time. It probably won't be any longer than three hours. And uh, so uh, you hang in there. We're outside now, so we can be a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more loose. And I've noticed that a lot of our guys are wearing uh, short pants. And uh, hey, you don't want me to wear short pants, I take for sure. But uh, I'm glad that we're here to worship the Lord together. What a glorious and beautiful day. Amen. Let's give God glory this morning. Woo! God is good. And these beautiful surroundings, you know, uh, God is faithful because. Uh, had we tried to get a tent a couple weeks ago when we decided to meet outside, there no way there you can't get one. They said that's back ordered into 2021 because everybody wants tents right now, every restaurant, every whatever. And so, uh, isn't God good because we we bought all these and made all this so that we could evangelize? And who knew that we'd be out here for a season? Uh, as soon as it gets uncomfortable, well, we'll have to go back inside I'm sure but we it's just such a blessing to be here and um, we are talking about the faithfulness of God and I just want to stop and say how grateful I am to each of you you are faithful people and I commend you for being here in church you have chosen well you know at least over a hundred times in the New Testament God says they gathered now I'm all for online I'm all for especially when you're medically uh, unable or when you're just checking us out. We are grateful for that. But I'll tell you one thing, as, as good as it is, there's nothing like the real thing. And uh, God commends His people for leaving their homes, gathering together. There's just something that is inexplainable, something mighty and spiritual by doing that. Going to church on the Lord's Day Getting up out of your homes, the comfort of your front rooms or wherever you are is a, a wise and good choice. It is absolutely the best thing you could do for your family, for your marriage, for your success, and certainly for the Lord. And surprisingly, and I think uh, we need to uh, address this, and that is that surprisingly, gathering as a church especially in light of what's going on today, is actually one of the safest things you can do. Now, if you listen to CNN, you know, a corrupt news network, if you listen to the uh, modern media, then they will tell you that the church, going to church is one of the, well, in fact, I read this week, it is the top, in the top three most risky things. I thought, well, that's really unusual to me. So I figured I might as well go ahead and get the real stats. Let me just go to the CDC and find out how many people have died or even cases that are related to attending church. And so I found out that according to CDC, there is 650 people, 650 people, in eight months that have tested positive, that can be traced back to church. 650, that's 40,000 congregations estimated, 
300 million people, give or take, in America. Folks, do you realize how small that is? That is a little greater than one one-thousandths of a percent. If you wanted to say it another way, church is 99.999% safe. Now, we give God all the glory for that. Amen. Man, you listen to CNN, it sounds like you're stepping over bodies just to get inside the church building, you know, and get out of the way. It's time for church. And uh, now, folks, I'm going to tell you something here. You are gold medal Christians because you are listening to God and not the CNN or the NBC. You are here listening to God. And I, folks, it is, there's no doubt that's a nasty disease and uh, bug, but uh, you know what? We're just trusting God and we uh, thank God for all these wonderful, responsible people we have here. And we've had so many good reports of people just, uh, you know, maintaining and doing what they're supposed to do. Thank you. And we are making a difference by not just closing up shop and saying, okay, if you don't want us to preach, we won't preach anymore. When did the church of Jesus Christ ever do that in history? Folks, John Wycliffe and uh, Martin Luther, they would be ashamed of us for even imagining that we would stop preaching because somebody said, yeah, you just, it's a little bit unsafe. Folks, it is not unsafe, number one. And number two, we are, if, if it's so unsafe, then I think maybe they're going to do something about the casinos. Because this morning, you could drive over to Jackson, you could go inside, and for the next eight or ten hours, you could drink. I know you Christian folks wouldn't drink, but uh, you might go there and spend all day hooting and hollering because you won or probably because you lost, and you'd be there with a thousand other people, but that's perfectly fine. Nobody says anything about that, and yet the church is the most... Uh, Risky thing. No, my friend, we are here because God wants us to make a difference. And over the last two months, God has allowed us to win over 50 people to Jesus Christ right here in this region. Praise God for that. One of our dear members just mentioned to me this morning that in Portland, they've had a terrible time up there with all the protesters. And uh, No, it's not a protest. They're rioters and uh, looters. Uh, for two months, they've been up there just all day long planning what they're going to mess up at night. Well, some good godly people decided they were going to have a revival. Last night in Portland, over 2,000 people met and preached the gospel. Folks got saved and baptized in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> Terrible, isn't it? Terrible thing for those church people. Folks, don't listen to all that stuff that's going on. Let's be wiser than that. Let's be more discerning than that. And uh, I just commend you. You are the blue ribbon Christians. I tell you what, this is an amazing church. And I'm excited what God's doing because you have been faithful. If you take your Bibles, you'll find in Genesis 1 and in Revelation 22 and everything in between, God is a faithful God who willingly relates to people. He is not asking, he's not some cold, uh, mean deity off somewhere who just demands that his every whim be answered to, but rather he is a faithful covenant God. 
I mean, there's no reason why he should make a promise to Adam. Why would he do that? But because he's a faithful God, he makes a covenant, the Adamic covenant. Why would God make the Noahic covenant with Noah? There's no reason that God could start over with humanity. But he said, I will never do this again to the earth. God gave a covenant to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, and he was faithful to that. God gave a great covenant to David, the Davidic covenant. Why would God enter into these covenants and then keep them? Now, Abraham didn't always keep it. <laughs> David wasn't always what he was supposed to be, or Adam. But thank God, God is a faithful God. And God is so faithful, He takes care of His people and watches over them. Well, this morning we're going to pray, but before we pray, can I just say this? I, and I think all of you will join me in, in saying this, and for those of you that are watching online or happen to hear this afterwards, or uh, you might uh, get wind of this, I will say this. We appreciate so much all of our governmental leaders who are faithfully trying to make a difference during this virus. And I know there are a lot of good governmental leaders who are really trying. We thank the Lord for our officers of all stripes who are putting their lives on the line, the health professionals who tirelessly, many of them, even in our own church, who would love to come to church, but because they have been exposed to COVID, they don't come who would just love to be able to be here and enjoy the fellowship of God's people and those health professionals that are out there and all of those frontline small businesses and businesses that are trying to make our lives more comfortable, get us our food we need and everything else. Uh, let's just show our appreciation for all of them. Thank you. And thank you. You're listening. God bless you. And especially a big, big thank you for the diligence and the care of the home church staff, Amen. the custodians, the grounds, the beautiful building, the music, the teaching, the evangelism, the missions, and our pastoral staff, all the youth, all the children's programs, and everyone, even the ones I didn't mention, and thank God for our Life Training Academy. They are faithfully uh, going to be there for our essential workers and provide the much needed instruction. And so uh, as it opens here in the next few days uh, and as we're continuing on, let's pray. And I think all of them uh, deserve a hearty amen, amen for all that they're doing. And so would you join me in prayer, please? Let's pray. Father, thank you for those leaders that are out there trying to make a difference. Thank you for those who protect us and for those businesses. And Lord, we just especially say thank you to all the Christians around the world who are standing, pastors and churches who are faithful. And Lord, we just thank you. I thank you especially for the home church people, the congregation, the staff, each one, Lord, thank you. Bless them, protect them, Lord, protect them and give them wisdom and give them power and strength and bless this good church, Lord. We don't know, but the next Sunday, what it brings. So today, Lord, we're gonna drink in every moment in Jesus' name, amen. Now, friends, when we come to church, we're here so that you can get something, but you are here to give something. There's somebody around here that you're to be praying for right now. There's somebody that you're supposed to listen to and somebody that you're supposed to care about. And so 
I hope that as we have this time together, it's not just about what I'm getting, but what I'm giving to one another. And I know you'll do that. Now, how do we know that God is a faithful God? We've entered into a new series called Living a Faithful Life. Well, we can't live a faithful life if we don't have a model. Because I don't think I'm going to pick Oprah. I don't think I'm going to pick somebody else for a faithful model of what a God-fearing person is. But the one I'm going to pick is Jesus. The one I'm going to pick is God himself, as listed in Scripture. Now, there are seven great reasons to know God is faithful. We gave you three of them last week. And you can get this online on the app there. I know you may have a paper in front of you, but I hope that you'll follow along. We don't have our normal big screens up here, so you have to listen more closely. Don't let all this beautiful surroundings get your mind off of this. Number one, we know God is faithful because He's kept every promise. Scripture is clear. How empowering it is to know that God always keeps His promises. Now, I try to keep my promises, but boy... I don't always, but God always keeps his promises, and we know that's the case. Sarah said she received, the Bible says about Sarah, she received strength because she counted God as faithful. That is a strengthening thing to believe God is faithful. How many of witnessed this morning God is faithful? That'll give you strength right there. I, God's faithful. I don't know how we're going to make it through this, but God is faithful. That'll give you strength. Number two, God never lies about anything. Now, one big reason why God never lies is because, as Moses said, he's not a human. And since he's not a human, and we know how humans are, uh, we, uh, we have a hard time with the truth. And we can't hardly even tell a story without, uh, you know, kind of embellishing it or whatever. But the fact is, God, you can easily fact check God. He put it in writing in black and white. And every time they find another manuscript, it's the same as it's always been. God has been fact-checked over and over again. He's never lied. Number three, he is a creator. Now, that's an interesting concept, but here's the, here's the thought that the wonderful uh, Peter, the great apostle, said. It says, when you come to God, just deposit with God your life. Because God keeps the bank. Or, in fact, God owns the bank. I remember... There was a new bank in Lodi. We were considering maybe uh, banking there. And I talked with uh, one of the vice presidents, and he said, well, I'll, I had asked him about a possible, you know, a consideration on some interest rates and things. And he said, well, I'll talk to the owner. I said, the owner? I said, banks have owners? <laughs> yep, guess what, folks? Banks have owners. I had no idea banks have owners, but they do. Well, guess what? God owns the eternal bank. He is the creator of the bank. He's not just a teller. So Peter said, deposit with God your soul. He is the owner of the bank. He will keep that for sure. He is faithful. That's why God says we should commit to him. One of the great reformers, John Wesley, once said, give me 100 faithful men. Give me 100 faithful men and women who love nothing but God, hate nothing but sin, and I will shake the world for Christ. And so may we be faithful. All right, let's go here to the final four points, uh, bringing it up to seven. Seven reasons why we know God is faithful. Number four, He always forgives. He always forgives. And if the Bible is clear about anything, it is clear that God always is faithful to forgive. 
Thank God he is willing to forgive me. Woo! I need his forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. Let's read that together, if you would, please. Just go ahead and bellow it out. and uh, Let's try to say that together, all right? 1 John 1, 9, a very familiar passage. If you're at home, if you're sitting there on your couch or uh, on your donkey somewhere, let's sing it out to, say it out together. Ready? If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, uh, that is a response to verse 8. And you can look back in your scripture there, but you know that. It says, if, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. Apparently, back then, there were some Christians who, like today say that Christians have no sin. Once you've been saved, you can never sin because you're counted righteous in the eyes of God. And so they have this uh, idea that somehow you don't ever need to ask for God to forgive your sin. Now, for those uh, even today who have the concept that Christians can't sin, um, that's easily disproved. And I don't need a big theological argument to, uh, to prove that. All I have to do is for you fellas to ask your wife, <laughs> does your husband ever sin? Okay, case proved right there. Or, and I'm telling you folks, it is crazy. And so that's verse 8. Now verse 9 is the answer. And here's the answer. God said, no, yes, we, of course we sin. We deceive ourselves if we don't think we're sinning. We need to ask for forgiveness of our sins. In fact, it's very clear. God said you need to be a sin confessor, not a sin denier. And we have a whole big uh, doctrinal movement in America and around the world of people who are sin deniers rather than sin confessors. That's a big difference there. God wants us to be confessors. Now, you'd say, well, Pastor, I don't understand that. I, I thought my sins were forgiven. Well, God's faithfulness, His faithful forgiveness is irrevocable. It is a fact that God has forgiven all of my past sin. It is a fact He has he is forgiven all of my future sin. In fact, it's very clear from Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1 that once you are genuinely Christ, there is never going to be any condemnation for you. And I will tell you, folks, I've taken that to the bank, and I'm grateful for that. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And yet Jesus himself, curiously, really, when the disciples said, teach us to pray, he said, all right, when you pray, pray this way, God, forgive our sins. What? Wait a second. I thought all my sins were forgiven forever. Why should I forgive Ask God to forgive my sins, and this really throws people for a loop. Well, I think you need to understand there are two kinds of forgiveness, and that's uh, in your outline there, and I hope that you'll get it down, and I hope you'll listen closely, because people really get this all mixed up. There, number one, is a judicial forgiveness from God as a judge. It's a legal issue, and that is... The day that I truly repented of my sin, the day that I said, God, I am a lost sinner, God declared me righteous. That's the word justified. It's a legal term. They still use it today in the 
legal world. Legally, I have been justified. I am freed from the penalty of sin. If you're writing that down, put that down. Penalty, no penalty on my sin. Judicially, I'm forgiven. It's a legal issue. It has been said that God will not condemn you for being born a sinner, but for dying one. But there's a second type of forgiveness, and that's paternal. The first kind is judicial. The second kind is paternal. And it's forgiveness from God as a father. It's not a legal issue. It's a relational issue. And so God forgives us from the presence of sin. Are you getting that? I am forgiven from the penalty of sin judicially. It's a legal matter from a God as a judge. I am forgiven relationally from my God as my father. It's a relational issue. I don't, look, it's like being born into a family. No matter what happens, I can't get the DNA Pollock, or the Pollock DNA out of me. It's just not going to happen. Now, I might disown my dad and he might disown me, but the fact is, you can never get away from that DNA. Folks, once I got born again, I've got Jesus' DNA in me. I can't ever get away from that. But I can definitely be on Jesus' bad side in the sense that we don't have a good relationship because of my sin. You'd say, well, do I have to get resaved if I sin? No, you just need to get back into fellowship. It's not sainthood, it's fellowship. I need to get back into fellowship with God. And here's what Paul is saying. He is saying, Timothy, uh, or John, or excuse me, John is saying, he is saying, make sure you tell everybody that even though they sin, and don't say you don't sin, verse 8, don't say you don't sin, when you sin, just know that God is faithful to forgive. Now, actually, it's probably good to be able to look at that word confess. So in a sense, you're not really asking for forgiveness of sins, but you're, what it says there is the word confess. It's the Greek word homologeo, which uh, the first word homo, which you might understand, it means same. That's what homo means. Homo logeo, it's the same word as we get the word logos, the, the word so it's meaning saying the same word about sin. Ah, now I'm getting clear. It's becoming clear to me. The Bible says when you go to God as a believer, confess. You're not asking for a removal of the penalty of sin. You're asking removal of the presence of sin. As a father, I want to be back into good stead with you. I want, to, I want, I want that relationship back. And so God said then, all right, then homologeo. Say the same thing about sin that I say. Don't say like a, other, a lot of people do, oh, well, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> if it's against the scripture, it does mean something. Say the same thing about sin, but also, and maybe more importantly, say the same thing about God's faithfulness. Say the same thing about God. He is faithful. Say it. He is faithful. Say it. That's what, God, that's what John is saying. John is saying, confess that sin is bad, but also confess that God is a forgiving God. Confess that. Confess that. Don't, you don't have to get resaved. Hallelujah. Amen. I mean, that'd be a disaster. 
Because a guy like me, I'd be getting saved 20 times a day, you know, I mean, uh, honestly. But thank God I can confess my sin. And that is something that God wants us to do. He wants us to confess it. God's faithful promise is that if I will confess it, if I will say what he says about sin, if I will say what he says about his faithfulness, then the fellowship is restored. You can know that it's a relational issue. It's been said that we ought to trust the past to God's mercy, the presence to God's love. I know he loves me. And thank God the future to God's faithfulness. All right. Number five, why do I know that God is a faithful God? Because He's a sympathetic God. He is a sympathetic God. Now, isn't it wonderful that if you ever have a problem, maybe I should say when we have a problem, amen, we do, that no matter what problem, no matter what temptation, no matter what issue I'm having, God's already been there, done that. Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in the form of Jesus, has already been there. He has personally been touched with every temptation. He has personally been touched with every disappointment. He feels our pain. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Wherefore, in all things, say all things, please, all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. There is not one temptation that you or I has ever faced that Jesus did not face. All things that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God the Father. God the Son became our high priest so that God the Father would be able to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Now, have you ever had a problem and wanted to tell somebody, but it was pretty obvious that the person you were talking to couldn't relate to it, in fact, maybe not even have a clue? Now, folks, I love millennials. I do. I love millennials. And I promise not to be too hard on the millennials this morning. But, oh, my, I tell you one thing. Once in a while, they are sure clueless. <laughs> have you gone into some of these stores lately? They have made the concept of not my job into an art form. And uh, I mean, I'm thinking, what in the world? You wonder about some of these, uh, this younger millennial generation. Uh, in fact, uh, you know why Santa doesn't have any millennial elves? Because he already has enough snowflakes at the North Pole. But anyway, now, um, now uh, some people... The fact is, they're clueless. That's what I'm trying to say. And, well, husbands, I must admit, are sometimes clueless. A husband went to the police station to report that his wife was missing. He went to the police. My wife is missing. She drove off to do some shopping yesterday. She's not come home. I'm really worried. The sergeant said, well, what is her height? Boy, I'm really not sure. About five feet four, I think. Sergeant said, what's her weight, sir? I really don't know. She's not skinny, but she's not fat either. The sergeant said, well, what is the color of her eyes? Boy, I really never noticed. Maybe brown, maybe green. I'm not sure. Well, what's the color of her hair? I don't really know. It changes a couple times a year. I think it's dark brown right now. <laughs> well, what was she wearing? Well, usually pants or maybe a skirt, usually a top. I really don't know exactly. Well, what kind of a car was she driving? Well, she took my sports uh, coupe. He said, well, what kind of a car is that? 
Well, it's a Mercedes-Benz CL65, 185, 7G Tronic, finished in magnetic black metallic with box soft uh, leather electronic adjustable and heated AMG front sport seats with memory. It has a brushed aluminum trim with piano black cappings, unmarked 19-inch AMG multi-spork alloy wheels, tire pressure monitoring, panoramic glass, electric tilt, side sun uh, sunroof, command online with HDD widescreen satellite navigation, Bluetooth telephone connectivity, multimedia interface. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, clueless, amen. And that's what sometimes us men are. We're clueless, but the fact is Jesus has a clue. Aren't we glad that God knows where we're at and he knows all about us. He knows uh, how tall we are. Someone said this morning, you're a lot shorter than you are on the internet. <laughs> and uh, I know that, but uh, you don't have to say that. And uh, I love him. But uh, Jesus has been there. He went, he came from earth and he came and he lived everything that we live. He didn't just come down for a few minutes and go on back to heaven. We've all seen the bleeding heart left politician looking for some little nice optic. Get on a private jet with a huge entourage, fly across to a third world country, land, walk 200 feet to a podium on a tarmac, covered in carpet, deliver an address on compassion towards the LGBT in India. Turn around, get on the plane, and fly back home. Now, I'm telling you folks, that's not compassion. That's not the compassion that Jesus showed. He flew to this third world country, Earth, and it's a 10th world country. And in a sense, he was hungry. He was thirsty. He was troubled. He was overcome by the future. He had doubts, and he exercised faith. He, he, had, uh, he was faced with sickness, and Jesus went through everything. And not only was he tempted, but he was tempted to the nth degree. And the reason I know that is because when I'm tempted, I, like my dad used to say, I can withstand anything but temptation. And uh, that's the way I feel. Sometimes you're like, you know what? When it comes to those big old hot Krispy Kreme donuts, I mean, I can withstand that about 10 seconds. That's about it. I mean, it's not any longer than that for sure. And that's the way a lot of us are with sin. We just, we give in so fast, but Jesus never gave in. Not in 10 seconds, not in 10 minutes, not in 10 hours, not in 10 days or 10 years. He never gave in. He felt temptation like nobody has ever felt temptation. He felt enticement and lust and desire and, and uh, pain and disappointment. And he never gave in. He took the full shot of every allurement, every attraction, every seduction. And the Bible says he came as our high priest, our merciful, faithful high priest. Now the Jews were looking for Jesus to come as King Messiah, but he didn't look like a Messiah. He was born in a manger in an old little stable at a little town of Bethlehem, not in Jerusalem, but in a little village off in Nowheresville to some pregnant woman and some carpenter dude and what? But Jesus did all that so he could be a sympathetic high priest. That's why when he was proclaimed to the Jewish nation that he's a sympathetic, faithful high priest. They wanted him as a powerful King Messiah, but he came as a sympathetic high priest. But 2,000 years later, we're glad that we have a sympathetic high priest. 
because he knows everything we've been through. I once read a story of a family with a small boy, two parents and a grandfather. Every evening when the family was having dinner at the table, the old grandfather, who was quite old, would spill his food on his clothes, his hands would tremble, and every time he tried to move the spoon to his mouth, it would go everywhere. It was very annoying, especially, especially to his son. Uh, one particular evening, the grandfather, the old grandfather, just, just made a mess everywhere and knocked over the glass. It broke on the floor, big stain on the carpet, and that was it. What are you doing, Dad? screamed the son. Every evening you just make a mess, and I'm sick of it. And tomorrow, from now on, you are not eating dinner with us at the table. You're going to have to eat in the other room. And I'm going to give you this wooden cup so that you won't break it. So the old grandfather from that day on ate alone in the other room, drank from a wooden cup and made a big mess. A few days later, the mother called the young son for dinner and no one was responding. Where is my son, the mother said to the dad, she said, son, uh, honey, would you go try and find our son? I don't know where he is. I've called for him, but he's not coming. So the father went to look for the boy, went to his room, went to the other rooms, went outside, never saw him anywhere. Then he heard a sound from the garage. He went there and saw his son working in the garage there at the workbench, had a hammer in his hand, had a chisel in the other and he was working on a block of wood. He said, son, what are you doing here making so much noise? For a short moment, there was silence. And then the little boy looked up and said, well, dad, I'm making a wooden cup for you so that when you're as old as grandpa and your hands are trembling and when you make a mess, you won't break the glass. The father looked at the young boy and realized how unsympathetic, how harsh he had been. He asked the little boy's forgiveness, went inside and asked his wife and certainly his father's forgiveness. And from that day on, they all ate together despite all that went on. That's our Jesus. He understands us. He feels us. He's been there. Everything we've ever gone through, we have a sympathetic high priest who is faithful to have gone through everything. Number six, he has never abandoned his people. How do I know that God is faithful? Because he's never abandoned his people. Never has, never will. The deliverer pastor by the name of Joshua in the Old Testament. Go there to Joshua chapter 21 and verse 45. Here he is, he stands before his people and he said, now before we allocate the lands and before we get everything settled, I just want to remind you of something. There has never failed aught of any good thing which the Lord has spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. God is faithful. He brought us out of Egypt. He is faithful. He took us through the Red Sea. He is faithful. He brought us into the promised land. He is faithful. He has given us this rich land. Our God is faithful. A few chapters later, in his amazing farewell speech, Chapter 23 and verse 14. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. He says, life is like a way. It's a journey. How many would understand this morning that 
Life is a journey, amen? It's a journey. Now, in your journey, and this is what Joshua is saying, in your journey, have you ever found God to be unfaithful? He said, you know in your hearts and in your souls. And he said, all you among us who kind of half atheist, half agnostic, half unbelieving people, has God, even with your bad attitude, has God ever been unfaithful to you? Never. That not one thing hath failed of all the good things which your Lord God spake concerning you. God has never failed you. Never failed you. Dr. Bill Rice was a well-known evangelist back in yesteryear. Brother of Dr. John Rice, one of my heroes of the faith. It is said that Dr. Bill Rice, can, uh, I never heard him preach in person, but heard him on tape. Delightful personality and a very quick wit. He also was kind of a flashy guy, and he drove a real nice car and had real nice clothes. And one day he went to a barber shop there in Texas, and he was in the barber's chair. And the barber was one of those, you know, kind of outspoken, kind of obnoxious, you know, kind of arrogant kind of guys, an unbeliever. And he was just bringing it at Dr. Rice saying, well, here comes old fancy boy. He sat down there in his chair. He said, oh, must be nice to drive a brand new car. Dr. Rice never said a word. Oh, looks good to have all those nice clothes you got on there. Must be nice being a preacher. Just on and on. And uh, then finally, Dr. Rice had enough, and he said, well, my friend, he said, it's true. God has been good to me. He said, let me ask you, what's the devil done for you lately? <laughs> and that's what I want to ask. Hey, what's the devil done for you? And that's what Joshua is saying. He's saying, hey, Israel, tell me what, uh, tell me what Baal has done for you. Tell me what Ashtaroth has done for you. Tell me what the devil has done for you, because I will tell you exactly what God has done for us. He has been a faithful God. Then there's Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 56. Solomon is having the great dedication of the temple, kind of like we're going to do here in a couple months, the Lord willing. He there's having this great dedication of this beautiful facility for God's glory. He goes and in public kneels. It's good when leaders are good examples. He kneels and prays in the building. By the way, I know that our leaders want us to meet together because you want us to pray for you. And that's what we do. We pray for our leaders in our country. We love them and want to respect them. But we have an honor to God first. 1 Kings 8.56, he stands up. Brother Solomon, King Solomon, the leader of Israel, stands up and says, Blessed be the Lord. You know, we always ask God to bless us. I think we ought to say, Blessed be the Lord. That hath given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not one failed one word of his good promise. Not one. God's never failed. And so we dedicate this temple to God. Now, it wasn't just for that. Because a couple verses down, verse 60, he gives the reason for it all. 
that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. What's the purpose of this big, beautiful temple? So that the world will know that God is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And I will tell you, and the Lord willing, we hope to be able to open up in November. It's really looking like that. It's, and I will tell you folks, the people who, everybody's worked so hard on this. I, I've done a little bit. I'm telling you, everybody's worked so hard. This is going to be a five-star church, I will tell you. It's like a spiritual resort. We're going to go to the resort every Sunday. It's just amazing. And, and really, the, not much more cost than normal. Uh, just, in fact, many times less. It's a beautiful place. And when we stand in there, and we're going to have a beautiful dedication service, not a grand opening. We'll do that later. But uh, this is for our church, for all of us and people who've supported. And when we have this beautiful spiritual dedication service, we're going to say, God has been faithful. God has been faithful. And that's what people come. I say, God's been faithful. They say, this is amazing. It's beautiful. It is. God's faithful. That's why. God's faithful. We don't get any credit. It's just God is faithful. We've worked hard. We've worked real hard. I mean, we've super hard. And we've given, and so many have given, but it's God who has been faithful to us. And so God has never abandoned us. And for these years we've been building that place, it's been God. And the purpose is just like Solomon for the temple, so that the world may know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not so we can just come there and enjoy the beautiful place. Number seven, and finally this morning, why do I know that God is faithful? Because He is not fickle. He is not fickle. Now, in Pastor Paul's passionate letter to his spiritual son, Timothy, he said, Brother Timothy, son Timothy, preacher Timothy, he said, man, I've, I've got a, I've got, you need to get this in your heart. You need to get this in your spirit. You need to share this with the people. 2 Timothy 2 verse 13, get it. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. God's not fickle. He doesn't love us one day and hate us the next. He doesn't write our name in the Lamb's book of life one day and then blot it out the next day. God is not fickle. He abideth faithful. Now, I think there's two things that this verse could be interpreted, two ways. Both are accurate. I think one is the primary interpretation. Let me give you the first one, I don't think the primary, but an accurate one and a good one. God says, if for some reason you walk away from God, genuinely born again, but you just walk away from God, you just said, that's it. God still abides faithful. You may come to the point where you say, I don't believe in God, but if your name was written in the Lamb's book of life, you can be sure God is faithful of his own mouth. And I wouldn't want to criticize him, I don't suspect, without his own uh, testimony. But here uh, a bit ago, maybe a year or so ago, a very well-known evangelical pastor, great author, Pastor Joshua Harris, stood up publicly. Why he had to get on the internet and say all the things he did, I don't know. But he gets up and says, I am, no, I am not a Christian. I mean, this, we're not talking about a crazy modernist uh, God-denying person. We're talking about an evangelical Bible-preaching pastor stands up and says, I no longer believe in God. I have 
not a Christian. Now, I think what this verse means, first of all, is that no matter what Josh Harris says, God is going to still save Josh Harris. If Josh truly got saved, if he truly was born again, then God is faithful to keep him and he will take him to heaven. It's kind of like, you know, how we are as parents. You have a toddler and your little two-year-old says, I hate you. I hate you. I, I wish I, you were not my parents. I hate you. And then you sit down and feed them food because you love them. They're not gonna, you're not going to stop being their parent just because they're a knothead. And that's exactly what God said. I guarantee that's one thing that this verse means. But I think there's a second and really a much more um, strong understanding and I think a primary one, and that is this. Because he says, if we believe not, meaning uh, the word there is a ah, meaning no, and pisteo, which is what we've talked about before. Pistis is the Greek word for faithful or faith. Ah, pistis or apisteo. He's saying, if you have no faith, if you have no faith, God will never deny himself. You need to know something that even though he's a merciful God and even though he's a loving God, if you go to your death being apostale, you believe not. If you have no faith in God, you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You need to know something that God is faithful to his word you will spend forever in hell. You will be judged. There is a fiery damnation for you. And God is not going to, he's not going to cut it any other way. And that's why this verse is a very strong, strong verse. And that's why in verse 14, Paul said, Timothy, brother Timothy, put them in remembrance of this. Don't let them squirm out from this truth. You need to warn them. If they have apostel, if they have no faith, God is faithful to his word and know he loves you and though he's merciful, if you reject the offer of salvation, you will burn forever in a fiery hell. That is a strong truth. And yet that is what God is saying here. He is faithful to his word. And then, of course, that great fatherly prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 24. I love it. I love this verse. Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. God will always do what he says. I love that verse. You'd say, what is he going to do? Well, go back one verse earlier. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Your whole spirit and soul and body preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here he says, God is faithful to sanctify you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Because I tell you one thing, I get sick of my sin. I get sick of my faithlessness and my cowardice and my prayerlessness and my uh, attitude. I get sick of it, tired of it, tired of the flesh. God said, but here Paul said, thank God that God is in a sanctifying mode. And he is faithful to complete it. 
He is working on me now. And in one sense, I have been sanctified. But in another sense, I am being sanctified. And thank God I have the promise I will be sanctified. I will be blameless in my attitude and blameless in my actions because when I go to heaven, I'm going to be just like Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said in Philippians 1 and verse 6, He that hath begun a good work in you will do what? He will perform it in the day of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes, we will be entirely sanctified. He is faithful to work on us. If you're, I know you're praying for your children. I know your children are praying for your dad, your mom. We're all praying for each other. You're praying for your pastor to have a better attitude. And you know what? I'm praying for you too. We're all praying that we'll all be sanctified and we'll have better attitudes and we'll, we'll be more bold about our witness and we'll be better Christians. Well, guess what? That's going to happen. God's going to answer that prayer because he's faithful to sanctify us. And Paul said, rejoice in that Philippian church, that God is faithful to everything he's called you to. On that last day, when we stand before God, what will he say? I close with this little reminder. Pauline and I have been blessed to be able to go to several foreign countries, and um, maybe you have. And I've noticed when we go there, it's always a little bit of... Uh, adjustment time, trying to figure out the unit of their um, currency. Every country has a little different currency and a little different standard of uh, how it adjusts to the American dollar and many times adjusts on a daily basis. Also, there's we try to figure out how far something is. Many times it's in meters or kilometers. We're like, well, how long is that? They say, uh, oh, sir, you, you know, you weigh uh, 23 kilograms or whatever. I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know, you, and that may be a lot. I don't know. But, uh, and, uh, then they, you know, how tall you are, you know, and I've noticed that, uh, everything is different. Our dear friends in the Philippines, uh, talk about, they have, uh, I think three hecta acres or something. And what in the world's a hecta acre? And, but anyway, everything's different. The unit of measurement, the point I'm trying to make is that, in length and in area and in weight and, and whatever the case is, it seems like all around the world there's a different unit of measurement. Now when it comes to our lives, I think all of us measure ourselves. We measure ourselves by maybe what somebody our age is like, maybe our gender. We measure ourselves with somebody in our particular business that we're in. We measure ourselves by, you know, uh, how handsome or beautiful or how much money. We all have different standards of measurements. But I will tell you, when we stand before God, there is only one standard of measurement. It is called a faithfulness. God measures everything I do. It's not how many people were in church or not in church. It's not how much or I did or how much I didn't do. It is all about faithfulness. Were you faithful? And that's why I want to just say, I thank you for your faithfulness. And for those of you online, thank you for your faithfulness, supporting us and praying. But I guess that would be the question I would ask and leave us with this morning. Am I faithful like my faithful God? He is an amazing God. Would you bow your heads with me, please?